You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Mike Pretz, Kat Kalin, Jason Dickinson, and Brian Colt. Stress, when we talk about stress, bro, it's on a whole different level. I, I look at stress not just in the civilian world, but also not in the military world, but the civilian world. You just fucking. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, and people, I think, deal with stress differently. I mean, I can tell you that I'm uh, a person that internally I probably struggle with that the most. And it's one of those things where I've been told by my family I ne- and my doctor, for that matter, I need to learn how um, to deal with it. I need to to not hold it in so much. And, you know, I mean, whether that's, you know, exercising, hitting a hitting the wall, hitting a punching bag, doing yeah. something that relieves it in some ways. And in some ways, I don't even know that I've internalized it and that it's causing me as much problem as we're talking about. You know, but it it definitely can... It, I think it affects people based on maybe how they grew up, the environment that they grew up in, um, their surroundings as far as maybe, you know, it could be affected by whether it was in a city environment versus rural. I'm sure, sure there's all kinds of social um, studies that, yeah. that can probably tell us more about that socioeconomics. But uh, it is very interesting how everybody deals with stress in a different way. And then, of course, when you add in the military to it, where all these people come from very diverse backgrounds and you're put into a very similar situation, you're each going to deal with it differently as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah you know what's, what's kind of interesting, especially since we're dealing, like we deal mostly with having conversations about, like with guys that are special operations, it's so like if you look at people that are like in the regular army that are so conditioned by like military standards, like dress right dress, um, everything has to be in order, like the army thinks for them. And you notice that a lot of those guys that get out or transition out, they kind of lose themselves, like that stress level of like not having mother army telling you what to do kind of leaves a lot of guys like hopeless, you know what I mean, which then increases their stress level and, and leads to a lot of you know, veterans not getting jobs and, you know, what have you. But I think, like, especially one thing that I learned, like, working with special operations is, like, that giving, you're kind of, like, and you guys can attest to this, too, but having, like, that free thinking, like, if you get the job done right and correctly, then, like, thinking outside the box, critical thinking, all that, it kind of gives you a different perspective on how to deal with things and not something that's so generic. So, um... That, uh, that's just one of the things I was thinking, especially going on, like, on the civilian side, which is a brand new world with brand new, you know, stressors that are there. I think that if people can, you know, get outside their, you know, tunnel vision and actually, like, open their horizons and kind of calm down and rethink and reassess the situation, then it might be able to help people center a little bit and kind of figure out what they need to do. So the... The key thing that you did there, Kat, was the first, the one big word that I take from that is slow down. And I've been on the podcast with with everyone so far for the past three episodes. And I always go back to this, is that we need to slow down. And Brian can attest to this. I keep talking about slowing down. And everyone that's heard me say this, you're going to get tired of me saying it. But the thing is, though, is it's true. We are meant, we have been set up, especially in the military, we have been set up to just go, 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 go from the first time we step onto that bus. Right, but when the first time we step into the bus, drone instructor is like, "All right, this, this, and this, and this, and this. All right, you're you're always on the go, always on the go. You stop thinking for yourself because, like you said, we're already taught how to think. Someone's thinking for us already. Someone's already created our purpose for us. Someone's already created our identity for us. Someone's already given us, giving us the things that we need to do. But we've never been able to create that on our own. 
And what ends up happening is a lot of people end up coming out of that military and transitional world and transitioning into the civilian world and have no idea how to create that purpose because of the fact that when they join the military, half the time, they had no idea where they were going. They joined the military to create some kind of purpose, but at the same time, it just hindered them. And the funny part is, is like in the special operations realm, you're given, hey, you're in a four or five man, six, seven man team, and you're created like, hey, you take care of yourself, but you also take care of the guy that left and right of you. And, the, and you're still learning about yourself. And I think that when we look at just everyday civilian life, human beings are okay with being comfortable. And if they're comfortable and adversity kicks them in the face or punches them in the face, they have no idea how to handle it. So at, this, at the end of that day, then they end up starting to do what? They start creating a stress on themselves that ends up creating diseases and puts them into their own fucking casket six feet down to the, into the ground because of the fact that, that they've never been able to work through adversity at any point in their life. So when they do get put into adversity, they either break down or they internalize it. And it just builds up, and it creates sickness, and creates death, and puts them six feet into the ground on their own. George, I, I can talk to the physiological reaction to stress, and it's broken down into the general adaptive system, or just gas. You know, I'm sure you. I, you I, guys I actually just wrote an article actually about general adaptive, uh, general adaptation syndrome. I know all about it. Yeah. So I mean, what you were just saying is right along the lines of that. You know, your alarm phase, uh, like that boost of adrenaline, dump of cortisol and the flight or fight response in that phase, and then you move into the resistance phase, and that's largely where, like, the training that I've gone through is developing the resistance phase, how you deal with stress, how you cope with it, and mechanisms to continuing on in a sustainable method in your job to get your mission done in that resistance phase. And then the physiological phase moves into that exhaustion, which is... You're depleted and you die. So wow. see, that's, that's the problem, though, there is, right? That's the problem with human thinking. We want to go ahead and take care of ourselves during that resistance phase, right? Because in the general adaptation syndrome, we know once, once some kind of stress is induced into the body, we have this drop. And if someone can see me right now, they're going to see me. Here's this line on that Y and X axis. And then you have your baseline of homeostasis. You see that drop, and all of a sudden, that's when we start realizing, okay, we're alarm phase is kicking in. we got to know what's going on. Also, when we spike into the resistance phase. The goal during that resistance phase is something I really push to not just the softly, but to my athletes in general. And now that I'm trying to work more on just the human performance side of just human potential to make them better outside of the business, or outside of the gym, and outside of work, and just life in general is, how about we teach them how to cope during that recovery exhaustion phase? Not teach them how to cope during the resistance phase because if we take that resistance phase, we're in a fight or flight, meaning the sympathetic state is through the roof. We don't want to do nothing else but try, and we have no other energy at all to try and do what? To keep ourselves as safe as possible during that time period. So there's really no learning going on during that case is the way I look at it as. And, and I could be completely wrong. And So what I'm tracking, so alarm phase is the sympathetic response, right? Um, that is like your the big dump, and that is the phase that you do not want to maximize. The alarm phase is like that's well, the right that's a cute response. It's the resistance is actually the parasympathetic system knocking in. No, so the general ad- adaptation syndrome is purely for physiological. There's no like mental stuff going on here, and marked by a depletion. It is like you are now in the dying phase, and that's that's not where you really want to focus at all. It's it's on the charts. You see that peak of 
the ability to cope with stress occurring in the physiological resistance phase. I utilize the gas as just not just like your psychological response, but also to when I train an athlete because of the fact of understanding that, hey, when I look at the athlete warm up, that is the alarm phase. All right, cool. Hey, we're warming their body up, getting their body up. Because what happens is if that alarm phase is induced way too hard and way too fast, then during the resistance phase, they're expending way too much energy and depleting their stores a lot harder and a lot faster. So when they get into the recovery and exhaustion phase, that's where we're going to be able to go and be like, all right, during that resistance phase, they either expended way too much energy and have no energy now when they get into the recovery and exhaustion phase to recover. Right? So the goal is to, all right, how do we teach these people, how do we teach human beings how to keep themselves from getting into, let's say, use an example, the cup. We talked about the cup the last time, right? We're filling in all this stuff. The same thing with stress. We start filling the cup and start filling the cup and start filling the cup in. And what ends up happening is once the cup is filled way too much and it starts overflowing, we have no more room, right? It's just coming out. Now you're creating diseases. You're creating obesity. You're creating all these problems that are catered to stress. So if we can teach the athlete after that resistance phase or teach that human being after resistance phase during that recovery and exhaustion phase how to regain and recharge those energy stores that they just depleted, that is going to help them, one, slow down like Kat talked about, two, become more aware, three, make more of a purpose for them, right? So, for instance, let's say that you got into a fight, at the, right? So, say you get the long phase for you in the bar. Boom. I walk up to you and I'm like, hey, Brian, you're a piece of shit. What if I said that to you in the bar? Your alarm phase right away is going to be like, oh, damn. Okay, cool. All of a sudden now I throw a punch at you. Now we're in the resistance phase. Right? We're getting at it, whatever else. Now let's say that you end up with my ass. You whip my ass, right? Okay, cool. Well, my, rec- my exhaustion, I went into exhaustion. You went into recovery because you expended less energy. I expended more energy trying to fight off and not get killed. I utilize different ways to recover through that stress so that I can be stronger for if that was to happen again or for whatever else happens to me down the road mm-hmm. is how I look at that as. I like your idea of applying gas to like training athletes. Um, that's, that's not really the way that I've learned it through my studies, so I, I do like the perspective you're bringing. But generally what I've learned is a stressor is presented that is ultimately something that can chronically or acutely kill you. And then you go through the alarm, the resistance, and the exhaustion in your physiological response depending on – it ends relative to how yep. like acute or chronic that stressor is. So I look at in a chronic form, maybe like hours at work have increased significantly or maybe your drives got longer. You have to take a different route. Um, so the alarm phase is just the realization of that, but you move quickly into the resistance of it. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to have to wake up. I got to cut sleep. And you're just starting to think of ways to like you can you can cope in unhealthy manners, right? Taking like pills to stay up and all that kind of stuff. Or you can look at, you know, the healthier ways, breathing exercises, physical activity, diet to deal with extending that resistance phase but to deal with the thing, stress. Though. But that's the thing though is, right? Like everyone's so worried about how do I focus on creating a better realm of being in the resistance phase when that is when I believe that is not the answer. I believe the answer is taking care of them in that recovery and exhaustion phase when they're actually in the parasympathetic state. Because 
right to get into a recovery and exhaustion phase dude like really let's talk about it to get I, think, into recovery, no, no, no. I think we're talking about the same thing same thing but yeah. we're calling it different phases because i i am heavily leaning into the parasympathetic as well but i'm saying that that occurs in the resistance phase people especially with just like the average joe or like guys in the service or out of the service like you're these phases that you're saying that you where you want to teach them tools like what are these tools that you're teaching them? Like, what can we give the listeners that you're, you know, like, are teaching them to bring it back and slow down? All right. Yeah. So this is, this is, I love the fact that we can do this, Kat, because we talk about this and the, some of the things that I've utilized for myself and I've pushed on other athletes. Meditation. Self-realization. Breath work. Finding a hobby that creates a healthy addiction and movement. Just move. I guarantee you, research has been shown to go out for a 20 or 30 minute walk without a cell phone or nothing with your daughter like you have right now, like unless you you know, go for a walk with your daughter, go for a walk with your, with your, with your dog at nighttime, take a walk in the woods. It has actually shown increase of 30% plus brain activity in the brain just by doing that. Because why? Because it naturally creates endorphins and naturally gives you a dopamine effect. Our cell phones, unfortunately, are artificial dopamine and endorphin uh, drops into our brain. We just want to look at our phone for some kind of affirmation when all that's out there, right? By us staying stagnant is what's killing us. So for someone to get out of stress, to release stress, get moving, Provide some kind of self-realization that you know that you're in a bad place. Find some meditation. Slow down, right? My biggest one of my one of the people that I look up to his name is Ido Portel. Ido Portel is a big-time movement specialist, and one thing that he says is this: for you to understand one side of the spectrum, you have to visit the other side of the spectrum. Meaning, if you hit rock bottom, you have to also have to be at the top of the mountain to be grateful for the both of them, and then to live in the middle. At the same time, though, he also talks about this. We look at the yin and yang circle, right? Are they separate? No, technically no. they're the oh. combined together. They're combined yeah. together to make one strong force. Right. So why are we not doing that? Most human beings are either way too comfortable or they're not, or they, or they're not happy or they're, or they're used to this adversity. Why can't we teach human beings to live a comfortable life, but also still go enjoy the adversity. For instance, I'm getting ready to go run my first 50-mile trail race the day after Thanksgiving. A 50-mile trail race. Why do I want to go do it? Because I don't want to be comfortable. I want to be able to go do something that's going to be painful, that's going to drive me, that's going to create adversity, so that when I get back to my house to enjoy Thanksgiving Saturday, it's going to make it that much better. Yeah, because when you eat those 10,000 calories at one meal setting, you'll feel, you feel better. That's what it is, George. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, realistically, right? But that's what I'm trying to say, though, right now is people have the tools. They just have to create self-realization to create the tools to go and do it themselves. We can't change them. They got to do it for themselves. And that's one thing I've learned with stress. And I'm pretty sure, Kat, you've been in there. I'm pretty sure, Brian, you've been there. I'm pretty sure, Rob, you've been there. We've all been there. And we've all created changes somehow. Not because someone told us, because we knew that we had to fix ourselves today to make sure that we lived again the next day. Because we're never not sure about the next day, though. Go for it, Kat. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just thinking, like, what you're saying is, like, how you said, like, 
hitting rock bottom and then, you know, like how you said, you're going to go do this 50 mile run to like just push yourself to the limit because you want to feel both sides, you know, the positivity and negativity. One of the things I was just thinking is a lot of times, especially guys in the service, especially guys that are like going constantly um, and then all of a sudden are out and don't have anything to go for. I mean, they're like peaked and then they're just dropped. Is like, how do we teach people in the service or like implement this throughout their careers to where they can identify, you know, positions in there, like say they're like, for instance, my husband, he's in regiment, deploys constantly. Like these guys are going, going, going. Like what kind of tools can we give these guys so they don't deal with the burnout. So they don't deal with, you know, the the stressors, the, the ailments, the constant fatigue. And, you know, these guys are broken. And it's like, what kind of tools can we give them? Or, you know, just things that we can do throughout the service instead of be like, okay, now that you're out and you're all the way, like, ready to, you know, take a bunch of pills and just end it. Like, what can yeah. we do to just, like, continue this building up well especially when you're talking about post-combat stress too because that's a yeah. it's a different type of stress and so when you're talking about that type of environment i mean you're you're super vigilant you're you're on a lot of uh you know whether it's those high speed drinks or whatever the case may be that you keep yourself pumped on because you know Rippets. yeah and so all of a sudden you're you're out there and you're like totally pumped and then you come back home and you're to your point cat many people leave straight from combat and either come into a home environment after transitioning from the military or they may even be coming home on leave and people are wondering why are you like the way you are you know well a lot of people don't understand that like when their cortisol levels spike you know from stress like say like you're used to this environment you've been deploying constantly all of a sudden you come home and you have so many things that aren't in your control like toddlers running around your wife already has everything or husband has everything already laid out and you're just coming in and disrupting their schedule you know what I mean so a lot of guys too they don't understand that stress causes the anger outbursts the signs of depression leading into uh, behavioral issues so I think like if people can identify those triggers and like start teaching themselves like resiliency tools like what you're saying like meditation get out and just like Tell your family, like, I need to go for a walk. You know what I mean? Just to get your dopamine running. Because a lot of times these guys are going from, like, high adrenaline, which increases their dopamine, to nothing. Like, their dopamine receptors. So they need to reintroduce, you know, things in their life that they can create their own dopamine now instead of having drugs do it or, you know, high-intense missions. Like, like what you're saying, like, those things that you're doing. And I'm sure you're surrounded, uh, George, by... Uh, things that like your team in Softly, like I'm sure like just having that support system is awesome because a lot of times a lot of the like we leave the service and it's like huh like I don't have my fam you know yeah. it's hard no it is and, and I 100% agree with you on that cat you know I uh I this I was I was not gonna lie to you guys I was really nervous coming on for this podcast because of the stress aspect because of the fact that I've dealt with it I've hit rock bottom and come back up from it and it was one of those things and I'm pretty sure all of us have and and it's one of those things where I was I haven't really talked about it that much on out to public. I've actually talked about me writing writing my own first book and stuff like that. And that's kind of the reason why I want to do it because I feel like it will help release a lot of the stuff that I've had built up for such a long time. So this is going to be the first time me talking a little bit about this. So right before I deployed Afghanistan, uh, I was at SEER school. Had to go through SEER school. Everyone knows how SEER school is. 
the last seven days when I went through Sears School, you know, everyone who's been through it understands it, knows what I'm talking about. As I got, re- as we got released, I got a Red Cross message saying my dad was dying. So I had to fly home right away to go take care of that. So I had just been induced in this stress, and I was in a resistance phase for three weeks, knowing I'm getting ready to push to Afghanistan. No idea. All I knew was that Afghanistan was going to be a fucking hellhole, and it was going to be, it was going to, it was going to be the, probably one of the worst deployments we're going to be on. Had to go bury my dad. Went through deployment. Our deployment, for, for, like, luckily I had a bunch of fucking dudes on, my, on, our, on our deployment where no one got killed. We had wounded in action. That was a stressful deployment still. That's how I'm going to leave it at that. Came back. My step-grandmother passed away. After that, I had someone, I had, uh, after that, my grandfather passed away a year later. After that, my best friend passed away a year later after that. After that, my grandmother passed away a year after that. I had so much stress built onto me for four years that I didn't know how to handle it. I was looking for voids. And we go back to behavior patterns of a person when they're put through stress. Because when you're put through a resistance phase that we're talking about, the general adaptation uh, syndrome, general resistance phase, we start building behavior patterns and life traps because that's how we cope with things, especially even not in the military, civilian world, two people can relate to that. They build the resistance, they build these life traps and behavior patterns that put us and wire us a certain way, like you talked about, Robert, in the very beginning of of, of the show. And it starts making you this person throughout the long time until someone calls you out on it and tells you, hey, bro, you're fucking up. You have all these problems going on. You need to fix it. And the yes. only, at the end of the day, the only person that needs to fix it is you. So how do we implement it into guys like myself that were going through that? Well, I can tell you right now that I am helping as much as I can with softly by teaching down-regulation breathing work. How to teach a person to go from a 10 to a 4 or a 3 from being in that sympathetic state in a firefight training session, training se- uh, a training session, or a field op, or whatever else, hey, when you're done, on your way home, do some down-regulation breathing work. I guarantee you that doing some down-regulation breathing work is going to be fine. And, and, and it's funny that I have, I, I know a lot about this, and, and it's, I can talk all day about this, guys, because of the fact that I had to deal with it myself, and then I start seeing other people doing it. And it's just a revolving circle, and I'm just like, how do I get these guys out of it so they don't do it also? I want to help them and not do it. And that's the great thing about what I do for my job now is I'm, I'm, a, I'm this human performance person who gets to test all these things out and figure out what works for me. And then if I don't like it, I want to push and see if it works for other people. And if it works for them, we're on the right track. And the first thing is teaching these guys how to downregulate. If we're not teaching these guys how to downregulate after these big, big time events in their life, we're just automatically doing is closing that prefrontal cortex. And if anybody's a nerd like I am, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big time nerd, and Brian, you probably noticed it too, buddy. The prefrontal cortex is what takes everything in, and it just starts playing back and forth in your head. Well, what happens with an at with a with a veteran guy in PTSD? They go through this trauma, they go through this this stressful environment, and all of a sudden, it's ingrained into their brain. And it's been once it's ingrained in their brain, they don't have no way to close. They don't have they have no way to release it because they don't know how to tap back into it. So by teaching them how to downregulate and slowing down. And becoming mindful and realizing, hey, this is what's going on. This is how you can fix it. But that's called self-realization, like I talked about. You have to be okay with checking yourself and being like, all right, so I went through all this stuff. I know everyone's in the round. He's not going to get it. I get that, and I have to be okay with that. I'm not entitled to nothing because at the end of the day, no one around us cares what we've been through. No one does. So we have to build that, that empathy for everyone else. 
to know that my experiences might be higher than yours, Rob's, yours, Brian, and yours, Kat. But at the same time, though, that I got to sometimes bring myself down and lower myself down and be okay with where I come from and be okay and create that awareness to do that. And that's one thing that I'm doing right away. And there's other people out there that are doing it and making a big difference right now. But that's something that's really dear and close to my heart. For this 50-mile race, I hit up my buddy who has a charity, and I was like, hey, I want to run this race, but I want to raise money doing it because I want to have a purpose. right? I want to help people out with PTSD. I want to help give kids fucking, you know, raise money to give kids bicycles for Christmas. I'm creating a purpose. And I think if we can teach these guys who come back from these deployments and come back and transition out how to give them and how to create a purpose and identity for them, it's not going to know. It's no longer leading by emotions. It's going to be lead by actions. Yeah, those yes. events don't define who you are. Exactly. You know what I mean? And you've come up yeah. like this. This is like Robert. We've had these conversations with other guests as well. And I have like this. Like, I'm a mental health student right now. Like, I, I totally feel where you're coming from, and it gives me goosebumps because I feel like if we can implement what you're saying, you know what I mean? Like these tools with what you're saying, so that guys and gals know how to evaluate the situation that they're in and then bring themselves back like while the event is going on you know what i mean because you're like like you said you've had bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happened and you're dealing with it through not dealing with it i'm sure and then all of a sudden just hits you and you're like like you said rock bottom and it's like can we teach guys and i like in the service outside the service civilian side just people in general to recognize the signs because a lot of times we don't like to admit to it it's like you know all these things happen to me and they define who i am so i'm just going to take a bunch of pills because the va or the doctor said so or whatever but i think that's like and then we get all pissed off about it because we finally come to and we're like hey i I have control over the situation i want to make things better for the guy next to me because that's our job like that's our job now from like you said if you've hit rock bottom like we all have now we're coming out we're talking about it We've all had our situations and things that have probably close to ruined us. But now that we're able to talk about these things and help others, it's just like what you're saying. Like you, you have to be able to bring it down and kind of like my biggest thing is like guys don't understand. Like they're like, man, I'm mad all the time or now I'm depressed or I don't want to work out and I'm starting to get fat. It's like, these are the signs. These are the things that you need to be like, okay, now I need the tools. And a lot of times the tools isn't just like if, Therapy is not a bad thing. Talking to your your buddy or whoever knows something about something, it's a good thing. It's a way to release something. And not only that, but, like, you shouldn't feel weak about doing it. These are just yeah. – you're just putting tools. You're just getting tools to make yourself a better person. So, like, people need to listen to this. This is super important. It's just, like, stuff that – it's so simple, but it's so easy to forget. You know what I mean? Like, this is simple stuff. It's like, just just go out and do good things and be happy. And it's like, you hear stuff like that, and you're like, oh, F off. Like, I don't even want to hear that shit. But it's, no. it's the truth, you know? It's like the absolute I, truth. I got some stuff. Here I come. Robert just called me out. You're like, you're being quiet, Brian. <laughs> uh, I, I love listening, though. Especially when George says going. It's all good. <laughs> no, now, it's uh, awesome. Now I, I want to hear the scientific that, stuff behind yeah, this. Yeah, the scientific side of everything you're talking about. Here it comes. Um, no. I, I do have some stuff though. I'm I'm separating. Well, I start terminal leave in three days now, and I've I've had some deep connections with just realities of training as a PJ, jumping all the stuff. It's um yeah, it's uh, there's adrenaline in it. It's high risk, and I know that those are connections uh, that I don't 
want to give up and I can't give up because it's been a part of me. So uh, I, I say I petition the, the people who are separating um, and moving out of these deep connections. Don't think that you have to get rid of those. You need to replace them. And that's, that's one of the things that addiction counselors deal with big time now is they, they've moved their focus from trying to, okay, let's say somebody wants to stop heroin. You know, they've, they've stopped like just drilling them on, you know, why it's bad for them and the negative effects on their family and all that stuff. They just present something else that they can completely replace that connection with. And, you know, that's something huge. I'm looking at all the connections that I've had in the military thus far, and I'm seeing how those things will transfer into the civilian life so I don't experience the stress from not having them. And the second thing is I just finished the book Tribe by Sebastian Junger and read that book because the cultural implications of veterans coming home, and as you said, George, it's spot on, is like people will not understand what you've been through, and that's a cultural thing. It's because the war is so far away from the 99% of people who don't go there that they just can't understand, you know? So then we have to go through these coping things. But when you look at wars past, the war, like, especially in, like, World War II, and he talks about London when the, the Blitz was going on, you know, and accounts of people who, like, they, accounts of PTSD went down, suicide rates went down, like, People were happier than they have ever been because they understood life. They understood, you know, the stressors and all that stuff. And I and I think that book that um, Junger wrote is something that we can all hold on to and really try to mentor civilians at, as we move out. Is like, hey, yeah. this is what it was like, and let me show you some of this training possibly. And I think it goes deeper than being like. And I love that. I love what you said there, Brian, because of the fact that it all depends on the time frame we're at in the world and unfortunately right now america is in such a fucking negative society that no one can come out and be positive about things everybody has to be better than somebody exactly That's right how it is. it's but, terrible so when we go back and look at world war ii or whatever those when those guys were coming back and there was suicide rates were low because the positivity that was there for them and the support that was there for them was through the roof now, I'm not saying support is not there for them now, but I'm just saying that society looks at everything in a negative way. I would say largely support is absolutely not there for veterans. See, we think it, there is, like, the like in our position. We, yeah, we're here. We're doing this. We're looking into it. Like, we want to help people. That's our personality. But you have, like, I can go on to Fort Benning, go to their transition assistance program, and be like, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What do you do? Do you know that all of these things are available to you? And I bet half of them are going to stick their fingers up their nose because they have no clue. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah. And, it's, and I was just like, when you were just saying that, you're like a lot of people now, the 99%, they don't know. Like, it kind of hit me a little bit, and it's like, I've been in such a world, like, revolved around veterans, helping veterans, that I really didn't realize that, like, when I'm talking to an average civilian person, they're just like, I don't have any idea what you're talking fighting, about. That's like, exactly, and fighting a war is a part of every culture. Oh, yeah. For, you know, for civilization, the warfighter needs to feel a sense of belonging when he comes back to society. There has to be, uh, you have to have the anchor before you leave, and then you got to be able to keep exactly. that, that connection when you come back so that you have that grounding, you know? And uh, yeah. I, I agree with you. And I can tell you that from the private sector side, and I, I wrote about this even in the book that I wrote many years ago, and it was about, 
you know, listen, you got to get over yourself. The truth of the matter yep. is half the public out here doesn't understand what you did. They do understand a few things like they may understand a Purple Heart or Medal of Honor or something along that line to some degree. But when you start putting it out there that you got a Purple Heart, some people might start going down a different rabbit hole. Oh, that means you've seen combat. Oh, that means you might have PTSD. Oh, that means you You're might crazy. go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, it's it's all about perspective and understanding when is the right time to explain it. But there is we've talked about this in previous co- uh, podcasts as well. There's a communication barrier between the public, private sector, yeah, and and the military. And we don't do ourselves any favor in communicating properly to the private sector, but we believe they should give all the communication back to us. And I and you know Robert, I'm going to tell this to you, dude. And the reason why you're so close to my to me and like we stay connected was your book was the first step for me actually realizing what I had to do. I didn't know you read Massive. my book, George. Yeah, you sent it to me. Oh, I forgot, I guess. <laughs> He's like, I don't know that you were Rob, I haven't got one of your books. <laughs> yeah, no, you sent it to me, bro. I got it, it on Kindle. All right, so <laughs> he sent it to get an autograph. He sent it to me, and it's autographed and everything, and I actually have it with me. And in your book, you talked about that, how we shouldn't feel entitled to that. And going back to what Kat, or what Kat said was, you know, the private sector and all of this or whatever else, what I think what we need to start doing is educating the civilian population on what is going on and then educating the, the, the military guys going into the transition on how to have positive thinking. Yeah. On how to understand how to positively think during a negative situation. And you've heard me say this before on the show, or maybe not, I've probably said on my, on my other podcast, but... A growth mindset is going to give you an extra life. Having that mindset open and looking at a negative and adversity situation and being like, how can I positively get myself out of here to look back at it and being like, awesome. I'm going to use a quote that my buddy, uh, my buddy Rick uh, Alexander, he just finished his first ever 205 mile race. And, you know, he just did a podcast with Optimal Performance and he said it perfect. He goes, there's two types of uh, fun. You got level one fun, which is your normal human being who likes to just go out and have fun, like, oh, that was a good time with my wife, or whatever else. And then level two fun is that kind of fun that a lot of military people have been in, where during the shit, and when you're in it, it is painful, and you're second-guessing yourself, and you're asking yourself, why did I do that? But then when you're done with it, and you look back at it, you're going to be like, man, that was fun as hell. And I think that every human being should live their life at level two fun. Imagine how much better you would be if you thought about that. All right, I want to go look at what is the worst <laughs> situation I can put myself into and then positively, or I'm sorry, positively think of a way to get myself out of it so I can be like, I just grew from that. It's kind of the, the uh, whole thing we were talking about before, the uh, the no boundaries, live your life. Of course, Softleet's motto, die living. I mean, it's really that level too of... You know, getting out of your comfort zone and trying to uh, find those things and pushing yourself to limits that you didn't think were there or or that you thought was a ceiling and reaching above what you think is your natural ceiling. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah. the thing is like military people, we're so conditioned. And, you know, if we were if we start training our brains to where we're not conditioned to think the way that everyone else thinks and that we can have our own thought that we can push the boundaries, that we can question the man, that we can go out and do whatever we want, regardless of what anyone says, you know, like that's what people need to understand is that you don't have to stay in that conditioned mindset. You don't have to stay to where that negative life event defines who you are. Like you can change your mindset. Like, like you said, positive thinking as cliche as it sounds. And I like, 
I am like negative Nelly most of the time in my life. And now I've really realized that it's like, it doesn't have to be like that. Like I have one life. It doesn't have to, exactly. It's in your control. And you like, as Americans, which is amazing, especially me talking about this, like as a woman, I I can go out and do whatever I want to. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's holding me back is me. And and one thing, one thing I'm just excited I saw, right now. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I love, and that's <laughs> I was excited about this. About this was, and the funny thing is, I told, I, I've, I've learned this, and I've told this to people, is you can control the outcome of, you can control the outcome of what goes into your brain. You can have a positive thought go into your brain, and you can naturally turn it negative. Vice versa, you can have a negative thought go into your brain and turn it positive. So why not teach yourself? to always turn that negative effect into some, t- into some kind of positive growth so that you know what's going on. Well, that goes back to, uh, there was a, I think there were some books, and I know there's been television shows about that very subject, about how you actually think in your head is how the life around you is going to be portrayed or how people yeah. are going to live their lives around you. Because if you're putting off negative vibes, you're always kind of negative, even in your mind. You don't think that you're actually stating it. There is non-communication ways and everything else in which it's happening. You're creating the stress, Kat, as you mentioned before, about how some you know, guys come back from combat, gals, whatever. The you know, military personnel come back from that combat situation. They don't realize that they're creating that kind of um, atmosphere in their home place and, and to those close with them that is then being brought back to them and adding on additional stress, they don't realize that the stress is being caused again by themselves. It starts with them and comes back to them. However you look at it. Well, just a, and just a caveat on that, because I don't want to discredit a lot of people's life experiences because I know losing a friend is one of the hardest things that like losing a family member is super hard. And it's like, it's one of those things where you just like, it's okay to give yourself a break instead of like, I just got to keep going and being positive and all this. Like, that's not reality. And we understand no. that. Like, that isn't reality. Yeah. But, and give yourself the time to grieve. Give yourself the time to go through the emotions and the steps. But go, I mean, you have that ability to go out there and get tools to help you heal properly and emotionally and physically, psychologically, spiritually, all that to where you can't, that event won't define who you are. And I think a lot of guys forget that, that they just, yeah. Let it go, and then that's it. The the general adaptive syndrome, like, one of the most profound things about it is in each phase, there's ways that you mentally can, you know, get through, get out. And and that's the cool thing is your physiological, you know, boundaries is not what defines you getting through a stressor. It's it's ultimately your mind and how you deal with each one. And the guy, and and Dr. Hans, who created the general adaptation syndrome, quoted this. Adopting the right attitude can convert a negative stress into a positive one. Right there. There it is. And and no, but realistically, that's what it is. No, it is fact. No, no, I agree. No, I'm just giving it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw you, you, Brian, drop the mic. Yeah. Yeah, I dropped that mic. You know, but it's it's, it's true, though. So, like, we're going back to you, Kat, and you saying this is, right, and everyone's thinking, like, and I hope no one thinks listening to this podcast that, hey, stress is a bad thing. It's not. Stress is a good thing. Your body needs stress. You need to create some kind of stress in your life to create some kind of stimulus to create some kind of adaptation. Ad- with adaptation, promotes growth. Right? But you're talking good stress versus bad stress then. Exactly. Well, but just like what Brian was saying, yeah, him holding stress. on to his stuff and then moving yeah. out of the service still having those positive, like even though they're activities, like you, that's positive stress in your life. You can, you can... Yeah. You know how to adapt and move along with that where you want to move it 
into the civilian sector as well. Yeah, so I mean, we're not just saying like negative or positive because no, you gave no, a good no. example earlier. Anyway, continue. But I yeah, no. totally have my attention. So, but that's where we're at though now, right? Like, that's the funny thing is those off that quote right there, it lets you know right there, Brian just showed a coping mechanism for himself to turn into a positive one. Him knowing that he's leaving the military here in the next three weeks. It's three weeks, right? Three weeks? Three days. Three days, I'm sorry. I'm on terminal, but yeah, mid-November, yeah. I'm separated. In the next three days, he is out of the military. He no longer is whatever his, his rank is and that. He is no longer a PJ. He is going into the civilian world as Brian. Oh, that's so sad. It is scary as shit. And I'm sorry for using that, but it's scary. It is super scary. It is scary. He utilized that stress as a positive one. And look at him now. He's sitting there happy, client, and like smiling. He's doing great social media-wise. He's pushing his message out. He's getting everyone that way. You know, he's probably having, he's, you know, I don't know his personal life, but I'm pretty sure it's a very good personal life, too, with what he's doing. But he's living is that it? lifestyle. Yeah, is it? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, it's just one of those things. So, at the end of the day, though, it's, it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, honestly, like we're picking on Brian. We've been picking on Brian since the beginning of the show, Dude, and you know, I'm here with it. I like it. Beat to death, buddy. But you know, that's just that's just what it is. And I, I'm I'm super excited this that we've been able to sit and talk about this topic because a lot of people are afraid to talk about it. Well, and he he's created a new purpose, a new passion. Sorry, Rob. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the bus. But that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I made Cat buy one buy it. But uh... on Kindle, and it's still available on Amazon if you'd like to go it on is. there. Yeah, it's so that's in the Thank you, Kat. So, plug, uh, plug, plug, plug. But that's one of the things I mentioned is that, you know, a, an individual needs to have a passion and needs to find that purpose and that passion. And if you're not thinking in, internally about what that passion is, it's going to be harder for you to make the transition. So we talk about that in terms of a military tr to civilian transition. But listen, it doesn't matter what your point is, Brian, and what your point is, George. It doesn't matter what point in your life you are, whether you're making military to civilian, civilian to military or you're just living your life in the civilian world or in the military world, you've got to have a purpose or a passion all the time, a true north that you can continue focus, focusing yourself on. That's what we're talking about. And you got to you make it a habit. You have to yeah, make it a it. habit. Yeah. And the man who has a why can live through anyhow. Yeah. And, and you know what, dude? The one, thing I've learned, the one thing I've learned with all of this is it's a revolving circle. You're going to go ahead and find a purpose and a passion and then it's going to go ahead and slowly start dissolving away. And when you start realizing it's going to start dissolving away, continue finding a new purpose and a passion. Right. And yep. continue that circle just going around. And I guarantee you, you're going to be going where you want. You guys are just bringing me to center right now. Like, I think I can go outside and run 50 miles if I wanted to. Like, yeah, what? <laughs> With all my kids I mean, on my back. <laughs> if I want, I will. I will. Watch me eventually. When, since I've been starting to implement this breathing work and meditation and taking time to yourself, it was one of those things where someone asked me, like, how do you create the buy-in? How do you create that social intelligence? And how do you create that relationship with those that you're trying to teach and educate these new ways of doing things? And what's funny is breathing and meditation and walks, they have been around for years, right? Finding a therapy that works for you that works for you, that's a healthy therapy, you know? Being able to be open to a lot of these new, like, these new ways of therapy and relaxation and, you know, how to downregulate yourself from such a, 
a stressful environment and like it's okay like no one ever realizes how much time they have to themselves at all like if you were to put 10 people inside a room and told them that they couldn't touch their phone they couldn't speak and they couldn't move and they just had to sit there for an hour straight i guarantee you that will drive 99 percent of those people in that room nuts yeah it's like that new therapy where you float in like a little pod yeah it's, and it's like sensory deprivation is that what it is yeah it's, it's, it's a tank yeah it's amazing I I've done it for that. I've done it for 90 minutes, and I've done breath work in there for 90 minutes. I, I got sick off of it because I got water in my ear. I forgot to put earplugs in, but it was cool. I now go ahead and do sauna sessions. I do cold water therapy. I get. I have a. a if I open my door right now, you'll see my 100 gallon uh, horse trough thing out here. I put. I fill it with water, and I put ice bat. I put ice in it, and I sit in there and do breathing work. And I just, because you know what? What happens is, you have nothing else to think about but how fucking cold you are, and, and all it you hurts. Work, and it hurts. So what I want to do is I try and focus on other ways to get rid of that pain through with breathing and being more in my brain and really seeing that. And if anybody wants to try it out, like look up Wim Hof, look up Breath of Fire, look up cold water exposure work. It is gonna, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. It's been a real big part of like my changing and growth. So I've been doing, like I said, so much research on this stuff on how, why stress is created and everything else. And it's just a buildup of inflammation in the brain. And we can reset it by doing coping mechanisms that our body was meant to do it. You know, we use an animal for existence. You see an animal get in a fight. Does the animal have a hospital, have pills, have anything to take care of themselves at all? No, they don't. What do they have, though? They have sleep, food, and breath work, and breathing. They know how to downregulate themselves to a certain extent. They know how to do things to literally heal their body. These are mammals that we're talking about that live in the wild. We are mammals now that live in a comfortable society that protects us from the environment that we were meant to handle. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number four mil at skeletonoptics.com, and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.